Magical Mystical Journeys. We're so happy that you're here for this episode. You're going to love it. Before we get started, let us introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm Katie Valentine. I'm your resident Christian minister and New Testament scholar and metaphysical engineer. And of course, as always, I'm joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. So let me turn it over to Andrea. Hi, I'm Andrea St. Amand, your evidential psychic medium. And I'm Amy Renee, practitioner of shamanic arts. And we have such a fun topic to explore for our magical and mystical journey today. We're going to explore the realm of fairy, but hold on because I might not even be saying that term correctly. And we have a special guest who is an expert on this topic to help guide us through. So we're welcoming Morgan Daimler today. Morgan is an author of nonfiction about this topic. Um, she's an author of fiction novels too, as well as much, much more. So welcome to the show, Morgan. We're so happy that you're here. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. It's an well, exciting topic. Yes, very. And so I, I will say, I was I was saying right before we got on air that I had read your book, Fairycraft, I know, a year and a half, two years ago, some sometime in the pandemic. Uh, I remember reading it and it was it was lovely and I loved revisiting it. So we'll put that out there. And then there's you have just this like multiple page on Amazon for people to visit. So you can direct us towards the end of the episode where people should go first, but maybe you can just start us off. You know, what, what is the fairy realm and what should we be calling it? Sure. We'll just jump into the, the most complicated. End yes. of the here. <laughs> give, give us the 10,000 um, foot view, I guess. Yeah. Um, this is one of those things that like you would, a lot of people, just assume they understand what the terms mean and we have like immediate associations with them, but it's actually very complicated. So when we're talking about like the fairy realm or the world of fairy, um, it's, it's a world that is adjacent to and attached to the human world. Um, and this is of course, across all of the folklore we have about it, um, but it's not directly part of the human world. Um, some people refer to it as like interdimensional or extra dimensional. And we have stories of it going back actually quite far. Um, so it's something that's been talked about uh, in various human cultures for um, almost 2000 years, uh, as far as I'm aware, at least the, the Western European stuff. And within that world, we see different types of beings who in English, we tend to just call them fairies. And in the modern world, like the modern culture in the US particularly today, fairy has this sort of very specific use where people, if you say the word fairy, they're immediately gonna picture a very particular type of thing, that sort of small winged, um, usually fairly friendly. Yeah, exactly, um, like Tinkerbell sort of being. And when we actually look sort of how the term is used um, more widely, even today, and then historically, it was kind of a catch-all term. Um, it really was just anything that came from that world, the world of fairy. And I'm not going to bore everyone going off on a linguistic rant because I, I love my linguistics, but the word fairy in English has been around. That's what your books are for. <laughs> yeah, if you want to be get really into the linguistic stuff, I definitely do get into that in my books. Um, the world, word fairy in English um, goes back about 700 years or so. And it came from the French originally. But originally, fairy was the name of the place. So we see this land of fairy. 
um, this idea that it's this, this place. And it was also used kind of as an adjective. So if you had something that was from that land, from that place, it would be referred to um, as having that fairy nature, being fairy-like. So fairy hounds, fairy women are something that we see. Um, and the idea is just that this is something that is from this other world, this world of fairy. And it only later kind of became used as a term for those beings just in general. Um, so it's it's got all these kind of layers to it. And then on top of that, of course, it's not like we just have the one term because that would be too easy. There's a lot of other names for the world of fairy. Um, specifically, if we get into particular cultures, uh, the other world is another name you'll sometimes see in English for it. Fairy, fairyland, elf land, other, other, ah, our other options. I swear I can speak English, I promise. Um, <laughs> and uh, the same thing with the, the types of beings. You know, we call them fairies as this sort of general term. There's a lot of particular names that we have for them. And then we also see this idea that it's actually maybe a bad idea to call them fairies, which I've just done like a dozen times. But, you know, it's this idea that they might not like that term and they might get offended or upset if they hear it. So we also have a whole range of euphemisms, um, the good neighbors, the gentry, the shining ones, uh, mother's blessing is uh, one of the Welsh terms. Um, so every time you think there's a simple answer, it, it just gets more complicated. <laughs> It's a lot going on. I just want to follow up quickly before we go on to something you mentioned. Would there also be, what, when we just think of fairies, is there, are we also including the world of elves and brownies and these other folkloric, for lack of a better term, uh, these other beings? So we're not just talking about and the she, you know, we're, there's these other beings, not just little tinkerbells. I, yes. I don't mean to be, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no, that's a, a great thing because we do want to be super clear on that because again, it's, uh, you know, it causes a lot of confusion. Um, yeah, when we use the term fairy, even though we have that sort of image of them being these, these tiny winged sorts of beings, um, which is actually a newer idea sort of culturally, uh, when we look at the wider folklore, we see all these types of things. So elves, for example, um, elf is an older, um, actually came from the Anglo-Saxon uh, English and Germanic term, um, but it was used interchangeably with fairies in England for a really long time. In Scotland, it still is sometimes. Um, so elves and fairies, kind of synonyms. Um, and I should also say, having talked about fairies as these tiny little winged things, in most of the folklore, when humans are encountering fairies, the fairy looks fairly human. They're, you know, five or six feet tall. They do not have wings. They do not have pointed ears. There's something about them that's otherworldly. That's that that fairy nature, if you will, fairy quality. Um, but they're not blatantly, usually, um, inhuman, if that makes sense in appearance. Uh, so we have a lot of stories where people, humans, would interact with a being and not initially even realize it was a fairy, and then sort of figure it out as things go along. Um, you know, so like I said, it, there's there's a lot going on with it, um, and things like brownies, uh, which would be from Scottish folklore for sure. 
there's kind of an open debate about exactly what would qualify under that general term of fairy and what wouldn't, um, particularly in academia today, it's a bit of a hot button topic, but you know, historically and across the folklore, it was sort of used as a general term. That was really helpful to me when you said, you know, kind of think about fairy as a, um, as a world mm-hmm. rather than one kind of being. Exactly. Like the name of a location. Yeah. And if you just remember that it's things that are referred to as fairies worth anything that came from that world. So we do, we have fairy cats, we have fairy dogs, we have fairy horses. Yay. Um, <laughs> I feel very relaxed that I don't have to be so specific now. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it can be confusing because it covers so much, right. but if you just kind of remember that it's, um, it's that general term, it's those beings from that other world, that world of fairy, I think it, it does help sort of conceptualize it better. Well, I've got to re- I've got to think, I mean, this is a little playful, but if, if beings in the land of fairy are trying to refer to our world, you know, it's like the, the humans, but that encompasses also skyscrapers and cars and our dogs and horses. And I mean, there's a lot here. It's not just as simple as people. Yeah. And there's a lot of different kinds yeah. of people walking around on the earth too. So yeah, lots going on. Yeah, exactly. What are and some of the, oh, sorry, go ahead. Morgan. Oh, no, that's a, I was just going to say, it's actually an analogy that I, I've used myself a lot. The, when you're thinking of the world of fairy, think of it the way you would think of the human world. You know, it's complicated. There's a lot going on. There's different types of beings. There's different types of civilizations, if you will. Um, you know, it's, it's not just one small location with a few kind of straightforward things. Like it's, it's a lot. Um, like if you're writing about fairy, you're basically, it's like a tour guide to earth sort of style. Lots to cover. Tour guide to earth. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that too. So you've mentioned a couple times, like fairy like qualities, and I'm going to wrap this into the next bigger question. Like what are for our listeners, what are some of those qualities for you that would distinguish this other world? And also what do you think are popular myths, like popular misconceptions versus what may be reality. And let's talk about what is reality when we're talking about another world. Just a big question there. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if defining reality is something we can cover <laughs> in any context. We figured it out. We're going to figure it out right here, right now in this hour. Yeah, share, share it with everyone. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, there's, there's, is a sort of checklist for if I'm talking with someone, for example, and they're not sure if they have a haunting or not. Um, Cause sometimes it's human ghosts and sometimes it's fairies because that happens. Um, and there's this sort of checklist that I look at for figuring out like what exactly is going on. Um, and in the stories more generally too, like when we see fairies being discussed, um, they can appear and disappear sort of at their own will, which of course other types of spirits can do too, but they are physically tangible in the majority of the stories. Um, you, if you met a fairy, you know, walking down the street, you would not realize it was not a flesh and blood to use an expression, um, human per, or person or dog or cat or whatever. Um, you know, they, they seem to have a physical reality when they choose to. 
in our world. And this is something that's been noticed and discussed for a long time. Uh, there was a fairly famous, uh, I believe it was Presbyterian minister in Scotland uh, in the 1690s named Reverend Robert Kirk. And he wrote a whole treatise about fairy beliefs uh, in Scotland at the time. And he even discusses the fact, like sort of musing on what physically what are fairies because they can be physical, but they can also be intangible. They can pass through locked doors. They can do all these things that clearly physical humans cannot do. Um, but then they can, you know, pick objects up. They can physically interact with humans. Um, so it's, you know, he sort of came to this conclusion that they were of a middle nature between humans and angels is how he described it. Um, and that therefore they were like partially physical when they chose to be and partially not physical when they chose to be. Um, but that's definitely a big thing to look for. Like, is it a fairy? Does it have that sort of in between back and forth kind of nature to it or physicality to it? Um, they are usually described when they interact with humans as being kind of uncanny or eerie. Um, if it's the animals, they act in ways that seem much more um, sentient, not the right word, but um, intelligent, like human level intelligence uh, in ways you would not expect like a dog or a cat or a horse to be. Um, if it's a human seeming one, then they will usually talk to you and they'll, they'll have information that they should have no way to have. Um, I remember talking to a friend uh, some years ago who believed that she'd had a fairy experience uh, when she was living in the city in her apartment building. She'd gone down to do laundry in the apartment's basement. And while she was there, um, this strange man walked in to the laundry room um, and she was immediately kind of confused. She didn't feel threatened by him, but confused because it wasn't like a public place that like anybody could just walk into and she'd never seen him before. He was dressed kind of strangely, um, very bright colors, like not the sort of thing you would usually see people walking down the street wearing was how she kind of described it. And he started talking to her very friendly, um, but ended up telling her some things that she really needed to hear at the time, but that he should have had no way to know to even bring up that topic of conversation or, you know, give her information um, that he should not have had. And then he just sort of disappeared is how she described it. So that is, it's a modern encounter, but it's a very typical kind of fairy encounter. Um, outside of that, it honestly, a lot of times just comes down to that sort of feeling that something there is not the way it should be. Um, sometimes that's in a negative way because uh, people do have bad experiences and encounters. And sometimes it's in a positive way, um, like the, the story that I just told with my friend. So it's, it goes back and forth. How would you know the difference between this other world and literally a creature from another world? Because we've done an episode also on cosmic beings. Like, how would you feel that difference? Or is that just maybe you don't know? I mean, I do. I definitely think there's an aspect of this that we will never know. Uh, we'll never have some specific answers. And people do certainly debate, like, what actually is the other world? Um, what is it in relation to the human world? Um, I think that, you know, some of the things that we look at are the other world, even though it is clearly not the human world, 
it seems to act in a similar way. Like the physics of it are the same. Um, there's trees and rivers and mountains. Um, it, it's not overtly alien, I guess I would say, the way people describe it. Um, there seems to be a sort of mimicry that goes on where, you know, fairies either put on a show for humans because, you know, we, how would we know, um, or genuinely live in a way that is sort of uh, echoing the way humans would have been a generation or so before. So people describe like experiencing the world of fairy or being brought into the world of fairy and that it's familiar, but it's also a little antiquated, um, not full on anachronistic. Uh, you know, like people in the 1800s talking about going to the world of fairy did not describe it as if it was a thousand years earlier. Um, but they describe people wearing clothing from like their grandparents' time. And the technology that fairies have always seems to be a little behind what humans have. So like when the hand mill was the, the big new tech on the street, um, you know, which a hand mill is just something you use to, to grind uh, flour generally, which was a big deal when it first came out. You didn't have to go to the big mill and get in line and have your flour professionally ground. You could do it yourself. Yeah, for a fee. Um, well, yeah, for a fee, of course. Yeah. So that's how <laughs> millers made their money. Right. Um, yeah. So when the hand mill came out, you know, that was that was actually like a really big deal. And we have a lot of stories of fairies approaching humans asking to borrow hand mills because it was obviously oh. something they didn't have and they wanted. <laughs> so things like that, this idea that the human technology is always a little bit ahead of where fairies are. So my point with mentioning all that is to me, that does sort of speak of them not necessarily as um, alien in the, the other sort of context, um, superior beings. Um, they have some kind of intrinsic connection to humanity, but it's it's a little hard to figure out exactly what it is. This is where our socks go from the dryer. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. So and I don't even know if this is an appropriate question or if it's within the realm of what we're talking about. Um, so you can correct me if you're, if you're like, no, that's like elementals, that's something completely different. But in my in the previous house before I moved to Ireland, we my my spouse and I there were a couple of things that would go missing and we felt like there were tricks that were being played on us. Mm -hmm. Finally, we were like, okay, this is like house fairies or house elementals, or you're like, we weren't sure exactly what, so we just left offerings, but I'm not kidding for like two years. We did not find a fork. Like all of our forks yeah, were missing. I we believe it. Yeah. We completely expected when we moved to find like a cache of forks and hear cackling in the background. I still don't know where they are. But we had like four forks for <laughs> about two years. So is that is like, do you feel like something like that is within the world of fairy? Yep. Yeah, oh, there's there's a lot, there's a lot of modern folklore about that. Car keys going missing. Those usually do turn back up though. Um, jewelry. Uh, I've talked to a lot of people and I've experienced it myself where jewelry disappears and then um, it can be gone sometimes for even years and then suddenly reappears. Um, so there's, there's this whole strain of belief that there is a type of fairy being um, who would be more, what we would probably categorize as like domestic spirits. Mm -hmm. um, they like to live around humans. They like to live in human homes, but they do have a fondness for stealing things or, or borrowing 
um, things uh, and why they do it. I don't think anyone knows. Uh, probably a lot of speculation, but yeah, usually if you give them something, an offering, they will give back whatever they've taken. Um, and there's sort of a sense almost that a lot of the times it's done as a joke or for amusement. Yeah. It always felt playful. And like, and once I walked in and my dog wasn't right there to greet me and the dog was always, you know, right by the front door because he's a dog. And I, I was like, I thought maybe he was older. So I thought maybe he's just asleep. And so I'm walking through the house, calling for the dog and I could hear him whining but I could tell he wasn't in pain or anything he was just wanting me to get to him and he gotten locked in the shower but like there's no physical way for this dog to have shut the shower door the shower door is really heavy yeah my favorite crystals once here in this house I have a lot of actually what I think is a fairy experience here in this this house alone and we've only been here a little bit but literally had my favorite crystals plucked out of my hands and fell down the stairs and gone gone like gone and there's nowhere for them to go well I believe it they're gone to fairy yeah. Yeah. They went to the fairy realm. So they needed my aquamarine more than I did, even though I really needed I, it. <laughs> I had an experience once similar to the crystals, but with butter. Um, fairies really love dairy products, by the way. I'll just put that out there. Um, I my friend owns a, a store and I sometimes go and like help her out at the store. And like in the back room, there's a little fridge and a sink, like a little kitchenette. And I, you know was making my lunch and I kept a stick of butter there because who doesn't love butter? It's delicious. And, you know, got to add something. And I had taken the stick of butter out and I felt like the same thing, like it was pulled from my hand or, you know, you could rationally, you could argue I dropped it fine, but it was gone. It completely disappeared and there was nowhere for it to go. It's not like this was a large space or there were like a hole in the floor (laughs) or anything like that like it it dropped from my hand there's a cabinet and the little fridge and the sink and then straight down on the floor and the wall and there's like that's it (laughs) and the butter was just gone we never found it It was never seen again and I was I figured you know what if they wanted the butter they could have it (laughs) not not yeah don't argue over that one (laughs) yeah it's like you it's your butter now um but the same sort of thing like it literally just physically disappeared sounds like we uh should be giving butter's <laughs> offerings to the fairy realm butter milk cream essence and and i mean i joke but that actually there's a huge historic precedent for that um you know there's a sort of traditional things that they're known to like so yeah definitely love it love it what are the sources for what we know about the good people Sure. So there's kind of different layers to source material. Um, And I should say, as we were talking about before we officially started in our little um, pre-discussion chat, I am an absolute nut for references. I am a huge researcher on this topic. uh, So I can, I can give you sources upon sources upon sources. (laughs) It's, it's my favorite thing. Um, we do have references actually in mythology. So the oldest, um, Irish language written material, uh, actually includes, uh, what's believed to be in in Irish, the oldest fairy story, the oldest fairy account. Um, and that dates back to, um, the manuscript I want to say is 10th or 11th century. The language used in it dates to like the 7th. Um, so well over a thousand years. 
Uh, and that's, again, specifically talking about the Aishi, uh, which is the Irish language term for the, the people of the fairy hills. Um, in English, we would call them fairies, usually. Um, so we have accounts, some accounts like that in mythology. Um, and then, you know, in Ireland, in the Irish mythology, they appear in other stories as well. We have folklore. Um, and folklore has been recorded now for um, hundreds of years. I think the oldest material we have uh, with that would go back um, at least to the 17th century. Um, and that would be more in Scotland. And um, then, of course, we have literature. So I realize most people you hear literature, you're thinking, okay, this is fiction, you know, and, and I actually have a very complicated relationship with fairy fiction myself. But when we look at the older literature, a lot of it, um, when it includes fairies, is either retellings of what would have been like common stories in those areas, um, or it's material that's based on the folk beliefs of the time. Like we might not have any written accounts of them, um, but we sort of know looking at the literature that they were there. Um, so um, Chaucer in the 14th century talks about fairies in the Canterbury Tales, uh, for one example. Um, Shakespeare, of course, everyone I'm sure is familiar that Shakespeare has fairies going on in several of his plays. Uh, and these sort of give us, give us hints at what people would have believed around those times. Um, and then, of course, there's, there's tons more literary fairies, especially in England. Um, Wales, we have accounts uh, that go back again like a thousand years, um, not in as much detail, but they're definitely there. Um, and then, of course, the folklore goes up through today. You know, we still have stories. Um, we generally refer to like the 20th century and the 21st century stuff more as anecdotal accounts um, as opposed to folklore. Um, but it's basically the same thing. It's stories of people's personal encounters and personal experiences. Um, and I'm a huge fan of the anecdotal accounts. I think they're really fascinating. Uh, we have um, a really great online resource put on by the Fairy Investigation Society called the Fairy Census, which despite the name is not actually a, a census of fairies, uh, although it'd be very cool if it was, um, but it's uh, a collection of anecdotal accounts. It's people from pretty much the 1960s and 1970s through today uh, sharing stories of personal encounters that they've had. So all of those sources are out there. I'm going to go on there and add mine. <laughs> Definitely you should. They're still collecting and it's, it's a great resource. By the end here, maybe we could go like talk about our personal experiences because I, I have some fa some fascinating sure. ones. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, and y'all listeners, y'all know what a nut I am for research and for sources. And so when I was revisiting um, Morgan's book Fairy Craft uh, earlier today, I thought, oh, that's why I really like this book because she's very you're very attentive to detail, um, quoting sources. And then where there's not sources, you make sure to tell us. Right. Like yeah, and, and I you really try to be between the sources. So I, I just really appreciated that. Um, and, uh, and I appreciate your being here because usually I'm responsible for the research. And this is way too big of a topic for <laughs> someone to research, like who doesn't know what they're doing. It is a lot. Um, I've been studying it, uh, you know, personally more casually, probably since the mid 1990s. And then, um, you know, in a much more focused manner for the last uh, 15 years or so. 
Um, and I often say like the more that I learn, the less I know, because it's just one of those topics that every time you learn one thing, it raises so many more questions and then there's so much more out there. Uh, it's just, it's an endless subject to study. So, um, I, I read a lot of, um, fantasy sci-fi and the, um, there's a concept that appears in there a lot. I'm hoping you can maybe shed a little bit of light on it. And that's the concept of the courts, the fairy courts. There's like a light dark, light court and a dark court or a sealy court and an unsealy court, or I'm sure there's 10,000 other names. Um, so what are these courts about? What should we know um, before we go marching into, uh, into fairy lore? Sure. You have definitely come to the right person. Um, <laughs> I've actually done a couple different um, university presentations at conferences about exactly this subject. Ooh, cool. So, yeah, so this, this question I, I 100% have the answer to. Um, basically, if you go back to the 16th, 17th century in Scotland, there's this concept of um, euphemisms, as I mentioned at the beginning, this idea that you don't want to call fairies fairies because it might annoy them. So you want to use a different term. And in the lowland area of Scotland, uh, they have a language that's called Scots which is sort of an amalgam of Norse and English and Gaelic, um, Scottish Gaelic. And in Scots, there's this word, seely. And seely has a lot of meanings, but it kind of relates to like blessed, lucky, fortunate. So we see this, um, you know, three, 400 years ago being used as a euphemism, you know, seely spirit, um, seely court, the idea of talking about fairies as these blessed or lucky or fortunate spirits. And then if they hear you saying that, maybe they won't get mad that you're talking about them and things will go better for you. And then sometime in the 1800s, we start to see this sort of opposite concept with the unseely. Um, and unseely, of course, is just the literally opposite of seely. So unlucky, unfortunate, ungodly, um, unblessed, all of that. And we start to see this being applied with like the unseely court. And the idea sort of starts to develop that there's these two groups of fairies, um, particularly again in the Scottish folklore. You have the seely court, the seely group of fairies who are generally a little more benevolent towards humans. Um, they're not going to do anything bad to you unless you give them a reason to. Um, they really just sort of want to live in peace, um, be good neighbors, which is another euphemism for fairies. And then you have the unseelie court. And the unseelie court comes to be associated with all of the beings who are sort of known to be dangerous to humans. Because um, there are a whole range of specifically named types of fairies that uh, sort of have humans on the menu, I guess we would say. Um, Kelpies are one example. It's a water horse, can also take the form of a human, but usually appears in the shape of a horse, tricks a person into riding it. Once you get on it, you cannot let go and get off because it's magic. And it jumps into a body of water and drowns you and eats you. So clearly that is not something you wanna have any connection to. Um, and so we see this idea of these more dangerous fairies having this name and being associated with this particular group. And then when we get into like the 20th century, this sort of develops into the idea further 
almost like political parties that you have like the, the queen of the, the Seelie fairies and the queen of the unseelie fairies. And that it's sort of like often broken down as like good and bad fairies. Um, obviously this is in relation to how they are around humans. And then that sort of gets into um, urban fantasy in the 1980s and 1990s and just completely takes off. Um, really, you would never have seen this idea outside of, of Scottish folklore up until then. But once it kind of hits that and it gets a little bit mainstreamed, it, it starts to be everywhere. Yeah. And then I mean, you have like. Yeah, I'm thinking of like Harry Dresden, right? Yep. The Harry Dresden books, the Mary Gentry books. Um, what was the TV show, the Canadian TV show, uh, Lost Girl? Lost Girl. Yeah. And some others like, yeah, I've, I've watched and read them all. Yeah. What's really fascinating to me. Um, and again, I don't want to go off totally on my own little hobby horse here, but what's really fascinating to me is as it's gotten into urban fantasy and it's gotten the last like 10 years or so, we're starting to see this shift culturally where the unseely are now sort of perceived as the good guys, um, even though they're kind of like the bad boys, so to speak. Um, yeah, <laughs> tortured they're, souls. They're more romantic they now they're with the rise of... <laughs> The sensuous vampires. They, yeah, they're, are. they're these romantic yeah. antiheroes that they're more honest, they're more direct, they're more easily trusted. And whereas the Sealy, who, you know, historically were always actually the ones that you really did want to be dealing with, are really the bad guys, that they're very tricky and that they only pretend to be good, but that they're secretly like the more evil ones. Like the Meredith Gentry series is a great example of that um, sort of development. And it's it's really kind of spread from there. I talk to people a lot on social media now who are very invested in that concept and the idea that the unseelie are the good guys and the seelie are the bad guys. And of course, you have Changeling the Lost, which is a role-playing game, which also features the courts. Um, and then you get into you know other books that have come out, like A Court of um, Thorns and Roses, which instead of- Oh yeah, I did read the first one. I give you credit. I, I am not going to pretend that I enjoyed the series. I it have read long. it though. Yeah. It's a thing that I have read for research purposes. <laughs> That's um, fair. No offense to I everyone listening to this. One. Yeah. Who's a fan of the series. More power to you. You like what you like. I respect that. Just not for me. Um, but, you know, instead of stealing and unstealing there, now we have um, this multitude of courts based on, um, you know, the seasons and day and night and, and so on. So yeah, today you can definitely find this whole variety of different, the seasonal courts I think has really become quite popular. So do you see the courts as, is this like a human projection in your mind or is it kind of a reflection of reality or somewhere in between or unknown? I suspect it's probably somewhere in between. Um, I will say after having given that whole little uh, mini presentation that the, it is specifically Scottish folklore. So if you look at like Ireland, there is no Seely and Unseely court. There is, and there is no division of like um, helpful fairies and like negative fairies. Uh, you have this whole collection of different um, kings and queens of the other world who rule in different areas. And it's much more regional and you have regional rivalries between groups, but there's no like inherent idea that one group is like, the, the good guys and one group is the bad guys, unless you live in a particular province and then you might, you know, have an opinion on that. But um, 
the idea of the the good and the bad fairies, so to speak, um, definitely started out very Scottish, and it has really spread from there. But it's not something we find in the the active folk beliefs about fairies in other places. Pop culture, though, which of course has its own folklore and its own layers of beliefs and and all that going on, it has definitely become a real thing. And I have certainly run across anecdotal accounts of people and, you know, people sharing their personal stories where they have had encounters that they describe in those terms and that they do genuinely feel that they are dealing with uh, this sort of wider concept. Um, and, you know, for me, if, if people are, are having those experiences and, and talking about them and sharing the anecdotes, I mean, it's a belief. People are experiencing it. I don't judge you know, I don't look at something and say like, well, that's not true because we have all this. I'm just like, okay, well, this is a new thing that's kind of developing. Um, so I think you could argue that that human imagination is having some kind of effect somewhere along the line. Okay, very cool. We're focused a lot on Ireland and Scotland. And I think a lot of the folklore has come out of the British it's the more Isles, popular, yeah. But um, I'm assuming fairies would live in this realm, the realm that we're talking about, the other world would literally be all over our world. Like, all is that correct? Yep. Like, they're, they might have been here in the United States long before Europeans were. Yep. I mean, we, again, we get to this complication with the terms that we're using. Because the word fairy, of course, is a very Western European kind of term it's it's most often used for these celtic language cultures which is what you were just talking about the irish scottish welsh um manx cornish etc um but we do have beings that would check that same sort of checklist that we find in other places i i usually personally hesitate to just outright call them fairies because there's a lot of colonialism and complications going on in places but um fairy like is what i would say like they they are similar types of beings and if we look globally there is not a human culture in the world as far as i'm aware that doesn't have this sort of concept of this other world um, of some nature and these beings that transverse between this other reality, this other world, and, and the human world, and interact with humans in a particular sort of way that symbiotic can be helpful, can be harmful. Um, you know, I, I think that anywhere we look, we're going to find beings that sort of fit that wider pattern. They're always going to have their own particular names. So if you look in North America, you do find stories of beings again, that would fit this wider pattern, but they're going to have a, a name native to whatever area they're from. On the complicated side, though, you also have stories of European fairies in Canada and um, the United States and Australia, because as populations moved, um, as, as people moved into different areas, they brought belief in those beings with them. And to me, what's super fascinating is you have stories of people who acknowledge the, the indigenous beings, um, those, those fairy-like sorts of spirits, um, by whatever the name was that they were being called in that area. 
but these same people will also talk about their own fairies. Um, so it was kind of this idea that there was a lot going on that you had. Um, it wasn't just a simple, okay, this is what you find in Ireland and this is what you find in Massachusetts and never the two shall meet. Um, everything gets very muddy and very mixed together because um, belief is, is like that. Spirits are like that. Sure. There's also a belief with this that I've heard. Anyway, tell me if this is correct. It's kind of hard to get our heads around. It's hard to get our heads around another dimension living amongst us, right? But there is a sense like, is you know, you said earlier that they that this would operate with the same physics that our earth does. Does that include time? Does time operate or is that lag in time, meaning that time is a little bit slower or different in that reality? Is there time more like the time of a tree growing? Like I what is love this? that you narrowed in on this because you, you caught like the one exception <laughs> to what I said. So generally the physics are the same. Um, if you jump off a rock in the world of fairy, you are going to have gravity influence you. Water flows downhill, rain falls, all of that fun stuff. But <laughs> time is not a concept that works the same. So, and this is something, again, this is universal that we find across um, all sorts of different cultures, uh, but particularly Western Europe with all these stories and into today um, and into fiction even. It's this idea that for whatever reason, the world of fairy, even though it's connected to the human world and these beings can pass back and forth between our world and this other world, time does not flow the same in both. And there seems to be, at least from the human perspective, no rhyme or reason to this. So we have, for example, there's a story um, of a man who uh, went uh, and sat on a hillside. He ends up going into the world of fairy. He experiences it as if he's living there for several years. He goes and, and finds this city in the world of fairy. He's kind of welcomed to live there, told the one thing he can't do is go to this fountain that's at the center of the city and touch the water, something like that. Um, and of course, for several years, he manages just fine. And then naturally just can't resist one day and goes to the fountain and immediately finds himself back on the hillside that he had started out on in the human world and goes to find his friends to tell them what happened. And they're all like, you, you've only been gone for like five minutes. Like you just, like you just went um, and came back. Like, what are you talking about? And to him, it had been years. Like he had lived and experienced years worth of time. Um, and in the same way, we see a lot of stories of people who encounter uh, fairies or um, the fairy world and feel like only a nighttime has passed. You know, they join a fairy circle and dance for a night. And then the next day find out, no, it's been 10 years or a hundred years. And then they can't reconcile that um, in their mind because to them, it was only a single night. But meanwhile, like everyone they know has died and, you know, it's, it's very jarring for them. It seems like the fairies themselves have some control over this or some ability to like navigate to understand um, how the time works. You know, maybe time to them is something that's more tangible and more easily manipulated. I don't know. 
Um, but yeah, humans are just lost in the, the whole concept of it. It's like advanced physics for a kindergartner. Yeah. Well, I mean, like time is, time is a function of how we are rotating around our star, right. And the amount of gravity, um, on us. So, you know, in, in interstellar, I'm thinking they're, they go to a planet that's, uh, too, that's really close to a black hole and time moves, well, you know, seven minutes on the planet is whatever, like 10 years out in space, or I can't remember what the ratio is. And so I'm just kind of like, I'm just kind of being playful here. And I'm not a physicist, but you know, if fairy, if fairy is in a different dimension and they don't have the same relationship, um, to in space that we do, right. If it's literally kind of in another dimension, then yeah, time could flow faster or shorter. Yeah. So it's, it's just seems to have a very different, um, that aspect of their reality seems to be very different from ours. So, and it is, it's fascinating to think about how that would work um, and also how they understand it well enough to travel back and forth and have some control over it, you know, cause they don't get stuck here for a hundred years. They don't, you know, disappear and then not come back for a hundred years. You know, we have a lot of stories of fairies that would regularly come and visit a human in the human world. And they seem to be able to, to navigate that. Um, you know, there's a lot of folklore about specific days of, you know, the human year, specific times of a season that the fairies will always appear and they have these processions and, and these sorts of things. Um, and they, they seem anchored in that way in our concept of time. And yet we also have this, this whole, you know, very persistent idea that time for them works differently. Um, there was an account from Nova Scotia in the 1980s of a gentleman who's working with a logging crew and they, they, you know, stopped for the day for lunch and he went to go eat his lunch, decided he did not want to be social. He was going to go off into the woods kind of by himself a little bit. And, you know, when lunch was over, the crew went to start back up, they couldn't find him. And they, they went, they searched, he was nowhere to be found. Of course, they were concerned he might've hurt himself because it's, you know, the middle of the forest. Police were called, it was a whole big thing. Um, several days went by and they had gone back to work and suddenly the man walks back out of the woods and the whole crew was sort of like, well, where have you been for the last, you know, three days or whatever it was. And he, um, was baffled because for him, it had only been a half an hour. He had gone and had lunch in the woods and run into a group of people, he said, who had invited him to sit with them. And so he had sat down with them and had his lunch and had a bit of a chat and then got up to go back to work. And as far as he knew, it was just that, you know, half an hour, whereas everyone else, it was three days. And I mean, obviously, if you're extremely skeptical there's ways you can sort of argue that he must be lying and other things have been going on but from a strictly fairy lore perspective like that is a classic story um but it happened in the 1980s in canada so you know these these things do still it is still an active belief would you be open to telling us a little bit about fairy craft and being pagan and how this ties together with your spirituality sure so as i think we've pretty thoroughly established. I've been interested in fairies for a long time um, and started studying them uh, when I was a teenager. Um, 
And I also sort of have a, a, I guess I would probably say unique kind of uh, religious background in that I was not raised in any particular faith, um, but I was raised as part of the Irish American diaspora. So there wasn't a particular religious belief that I had, but the idea of fairies and things like that was sort of, um, if not actively encouraged, at least not discouraged. So when I was probably 11 or 12, I think, I had run across the idea of, of neo-pagan witchcraft um, through Scott Cunningham uh, in his book, uh, Wicca for the Solitary Practitioner, which is, I'm sure, a book that many, many people start with. And for me, sort of coming from this place of not having a structured religious belief ingrained in me as a child, but having this belief in these, these otherworldly spirits and sort of the potential for things like that, um, neo-pagan witchcraft just made a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, as I was reading about it, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, sure. Uh, fairies are real, spirits are real. Um, obviously there would be a divine feminine along with a divine masculine. It's, this all makes sense to me. Um, so I ended up taking that direction with, the, with things for myself. And it just seemed natural to me to incorporate fairies into my spirituality, into my religious belief and practice. Um, you know, so as I got older, as I learned more, uh, as I studied more, it kind of got refined. But yeah, what I, what I write about in the book, Fairy Craft, is, is sort of um, where my spiritual practice was at um, at the time I wrote the book. It's a little different now. I've simplified quite a bit. Um, as I think many people with children do. Nece yeah, necessity breeds invention, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, necessity, pandemic, uh, involuntary homeschooling during the pandemic. These are all things that like <laughs> will help a person refine what they're doing um, and figure out you know, what's really necessary. Um, so yeah, what I, what I do today is a little more simplified. I've also gotten um, a lot more interested in early modern witchcraft. Uh, there's a very good book by an author called Emma Wilby, Cunning Folk and Familiar Spirits, that talks about the evidence we have. And again, this intersects with fairies. Pretty much everything I have to say about witchcraft intersects with fairies as well. Um, talks about the way that uh, in Scotland and England in particular, uh, it was thought that witchcraft was practiced in the 17th century and how fairies often played a big part in that. Um, and that has sort of given me some interesting ideas with things. So uh, maybe you can kind of clarify for us. Um, I think we have probably some listeners who are going to be loosely familiar with neo-paganism, but not intimately you know, familiar. So like the gods and goddesses that you would work with are, are those the same gods and goddesses that might, like those in fairy might also work with? Like, is there a relationship there? Or maybe you don't, maybe we don't know. Or are those gods and goddesses in fairy? Sure, that's actually a great question. Um, because this is an aspect, particularly with fairy craft, that's a little different from more general neo-paganism. So general neo-pagan witchcraft, um, it's just going to focus on pagan gods and goddesses, people generally will have an affinity for either a particular 
cultural pantheon or just particular deities. Um, in my case, because my focus sort of is what it is, um, I tend to look at the ones who have connections that we know of in mythology or folklore to fairies in some context, um, which is surprisingly a lot. Um, in Ireland, it's pretty much all of them because that gets very complicated. Um, the, the older gods of Ireland were thought to go into the fairy hills, the other world, and become people of the fairy hills. So there's a lot of really direct crossover with that in particular, um, and not the, tr not the case for other pantheons as much. But the ones that I, in particular, um, and especially when I was writing uh, Fairycraft, was focusing on are beings that I refer to as liminal gods. Um, they're usually described in stories as like kings and queens of fairy. Um, but a lot of times what we find when we sort of compare the folklore and the mythology is that the beings in the folklore that are being called a king or a queen of fairy or a king or a queen of the other world were considered a god or a goddess in the older material. Um, so like Anya is a great example um, in Southwestern Ireland. Uh, a lot of her more modern folklore, she's referred to as a fairy queen, a fairy queen Anya. She has a hill. Um, she has a, a lake, uh, that's associated with her. Um, all sorts of great stories go on with her. But we, we do find her in the older mythology as one of the goddesses, explicitly as a goddess. So there's all these sort of spiderweb, complicated crossover connections between those. Um, and I, I do think that we can get into some really deep cosmological, philosophical conversations about who the fairies themselves would worship. Um, we do have hints in some of the older folklore that they had their own religion. Um, although I will say we do also have folklore about Christian fairies, um, Muslim fairies, if you consider jinn to be fairies. Uh, that's, that's, again, a debatable point. But um, so fairies do have religion, and that religion, much like Earth, is not necessarily a single thing. There's, there's different options going on. Um, but that can also kind of layer over into... Uh, with fairy witchcraft, like who people are honoring and connecting to. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me that there's going to be slippage between deities and then they get sublimated sometimes into, yeah, into this fairy world. Yeah, that put, that put things in context for me. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me the way that these beings, you know, however we want to label them, whatever we want to call them, were obviously just so significant to people that even over hundreds of years, even over more than a thousand years, they, they remained, you know, the stories remain, they, they change a little bit, um, but the core concepts of them tend to stay the same. Um, the idea that they're powerful, that they can help people, but that you want to respect them, um, that they have particular geographic connections, that they, um, have connections to other stories and other types of beings. Um, I don't know. It just, it's something that's always really intrigued me. Uh, you know, even with another religion coming in, even Christianity coming into Ireland, the stories of the fairies and the, the um, fairy kings and queens has survived up to today. So 
to me, that says there's something going on there. There's some true something in there. Oh yeah. And I, um, I mean, I live in Ireland now and there's, we, I mean, people call them fairy trees next to wells that people still tie oh, ribbons yeah. on. I mean, the, the meaning, you know, maybe the meaning or the reason why people are tying ribbons on there has changed, but the practice is still there. Yep. It's held on. Yeah. And it's fascinating to, to look at stuff like that and wonder like how far back does that go? Yeah. Because, you know, we can trace it back pretty far. Like we know it's very old, but you know, ribbons and trees do not preserve very right. well. So we really don't know when it started or how or, or any of that. And that just fascinates me. Well, so I think this brings us to a great um, question. I bet, our, I bet our listeners are just really wanting to know this. How and or should they work with fairy? So let's start with the should. Um, and this is where I really appreciated your work, which is very, very clear um, in the, in like, in who you are and like that, that this is a choice people can make. It's funny because I have written several books specifically on fairy witchcraft and on people engaging with fairies. My standard initial answer to everyone, when people ask like, should I do this is no. <laughs> um, <laughs> and mostly that's because people do have that very post-Victorian new age Tinkerbell kind of idea of, of fairies, of who and what they are. And I, I always urge caution um, that people need to be aware that, um, and I, you know, I think this is true actually for any sort of spirit, whatever we're talking about, um, even human ghosts, if you want to do work engaging with them, everything has a degree of risk. And when you're dealing with spirits, especially non-human spirits, it's really important to be aware of that risk. And if you are someone who has a really strong interest in this or feels like you already have these types of spirits around you um, or just is very strongly compelled to want to do this, then yes, you know, move forward and do it, but just make sure you're doing it with the necessary precautions. Um, you know, so I realize that's a bit of a downer of an answer, but I just always like to sort of fight back against that pop culture fairies are wish granting little glitter pixies or, you know, yeah, no, whatever think, it is a lot of people imagine. Yeah, I think it's really helpful, right? Like the fairies are not your servants, right? They're not, yeah, they're not, they're not here to grant you three wishes and, and, and for you to forget about them and then come back to them, right? It's a, it's a serious uh, endeavor. And that's why I've actually yeah. chosen not to, not to super explore myself other than kind of head knowledge. Cause I've not had the time or bandwidth for, yeah, for more right, kind of in my life. I think it's like any, I, I agree with you, Morgan, because I tell that about people with psychic mediumship, like get skills, get a skill set. Really, if you're going to do this, take it very seriously, because a lot of what's going to come up is your own subconscious and your own crap that you're going to have to work on a lot of this is self-work i think whether you're working with another dimension other dimensional beings fairies or the spirit world it's it needs to be taken with a great deal of respect and Definitely. seriousness and i mean you know i i certainly have talked to people who have been engaging with fairies for decades um focusing on the more um twee winged little fairies and have never had a bad experience and that is wonderful for them and you know i'm, I'm glad but I also have talked to a lot of people and I, I have people 
um, contact me on social media uh, who are having problems because they offended something or you know, they did something they shouldn't have, um, or they just didn't understand the sort of seriousness of what they were getting into. And now it's this big complication. And the real reason that I, I tend to be so cautious with people is that this is one of those things that sort of once you open that door, it's very difficult to close it. Um, and I've had to sort of try to help people in different situations where, you know, they have something bad happen. Um, they, you know, are physically injured or, you know, have a lot of other stuff going on that's negative because of this. And they just want to walk away from it. They're basically like, how do I just get this all to stop? And the problem is you can't, once it has started, once you've gotten that in depth with it, it's not like flipping a switch. Um, you can't just decide, okay, this is scaring me now, or, you know, this isn't fun or pleasant the way I thought it would be, so I don't want to do it anymore. Once you're in it, you're kind of in it. Um, and again, it's like the psychic medium thing in that sense. Like once you sort of open to those abilities, you can't just stop. Um, I've seen people try to do that and it never has worked out well that I've seen. And it's the same thing with fairies. And, you know, you sort of have to be aware going in that there's certain etiquette you need to know. There's certain safety precautions to be aware of. Um, I often will compare it to like people who want to work with wild animals, you know, oh, That's what yeah. I was yeah. just thinking, yeah. Um, which is, you know, a wonderful thing to do, but you definitely have to be aware of like how to stay safe while you're doing it. You can't just go in and, you know, do whatever you feel like doing because there, there can be negative consequences. One of the things we talk about a lot on this podcast is the word boundaries. And I think that's what mm -hmm. you're bringing up here. It's having really, really strong, healthy, boundaries. respectful yeah. boundaries. One of the things that I, I will often discuss with people on the subject of fairies is the fact that consent with fairies is not the same as consent with humans, because this is a key aspect that a lot of people don't understand. And we see this all across the folklore and modern anecdotal accounts and all of that. And with humans, you can give and withdraw consent at any time. You can say yes to something and then at any time in the process of it, be like, oh, you know what? I'm not comfortable with this. You know, I, I, I'm changing my mind. I'm withdrawing my consent because that's how human consent works. So that's how it's supposed to work. Should work. With the good folk, with fairies, it's not like that. It's, it's like a legal contract. I compare them to lawyers a lot because um, it's, it's an accurate comparison. So you will appreciate this comparison then because it's true. If you sign a legal contract that says you are going to do something, you cannot just change your mind. If you do, there's going to be significant consequences because you have committed yourself to doing something and it's not a matter of just like, oh, I said I was going to go to the movies, but then I decided not to, and it's not a big deal, and no one cares. Um, it's, it's a big deal, even if you feel like it's a small thing. And that's how fairies are with everything. Everything. And once you get into that mindset, you can learn how to navigate that and work with it. And there are a lot of benefits to working with them and to being connected to them. It just, you have to understand that risk and you have to understand that if you agree to something 
it's a contract it's agreed to. I've had more people that I've run into who wanted to work with various, wanted to connect to them, felt like they weren't getting a response. So said something along the lines of like, I, I totally give myself to these beings, right? I commit to, I commit my life to these beings. And then suddenly they start getting a response and getting a reaction and it's off the rails. Yeah. I and bet. then they're like, oh, I, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and then they turn around, they're like, oh no, no, I, I changed my mind. How do I back out of this? And it's like trying to explain you can't. Now you have to try to renegotiate and figure out what you could offer them <laughs> to, to let them get you out of this contract. And they might not do it, you know, um, because that's just, that's just the nature of what they are. Yeah. And, and so I think it's really helpful to, to make this distinguishing just for listeners that um, when you think back to our episodes from season one, we're right. We're talking about angels and ascended, ascended beings, ascended masters. This is a really different energy. Yeah. Um, like the fair, the land of fairy, as, as I understand it, um, are not necessarily, um, more wise than us. They're different. Yes. They're different yes. kind of companion, right. They, they may have, they have different skill sets. Yes. Um, that we don't have, but they're not, anyway, they're not like, they're not the same as a guide. Right. They're, they are more powerful. Um, they can do things that humans can't do. Um, they can teach you things. They can give you knowledge that you didn't have before. Um, you can engage with them in a relationship that would be along the lines of what we would consider like a guide, but they don't have that intrinsic, your best interests at heart thing going on. Um, it's like dealing with another human. You know, if you have a human who's your friend, they, they could be a very good friend. They could genuinely love you and care for you, but they're still always going to put themselves and their own agenda first, because that's just how, you know, humans survive. They're not going to burn their house down so that you'll be warm to, to use an analogy here, um, or metaphor. Um, you know, you have to understand with fairies that even the ones who are helpful and, and, benevolent and, you know, have positive connections to people, um, as we mentioned earlier in the discussion, they do not exist for the sole purpose of helping you and granting your wishes. You know, they have their own stuff going on too. They're independent spirits. They have their own agency. And if they help you, usually they're going to expect something in exchange. And even if they do it just out of pure benevolence, there's always going to be sort of limits to what they will or won't do. Um, just like another human, if you walk up to a total stranger on the street and say, I need a hundred dollars, you know, you might get that one random human who, for whatever reason is like, here, have the hundred dollars, but most likely they're just going to walk around you or ignore you or, you know, whatever. And I think it helps to think of fairies more the way we would think of other humans, even though they're very not human in a lot of ways. But if you think of interacting with them the same way you would, like you wouldn't just demand another human do stuff for you, I assume. I like to hope everyone listening to this would not just demand another human do stuff for them. Um, you know, you would, you would try to build some kind of relationship, I again, assume and hope. And that would be based on understanding that, you know, everyone has their own agenda their own reason for doing things. Does that make and sense? Absolutely. Yeah, it does to me. What do y'all think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Respect. Relationship with everything. 
So research before you get into the relationship is the cautionary is the cautionary wisdom here. Yeah. Yeah. And just be aware that like, you know, once you're committing to things, you are committing to those things. It's like in my book, I talk about if you want to give them offerings, because I do appreciate that. And that's a good way to start building a relationship. Don't say you are going to do it every month or every week or on a specific schedule. Because once you say that, you have to do that. And I tell a funny story in my book, but you know, it's true. I made that mistake because I am a much better warning of what not to do than good example of what to do. Um, very early on, I was like, well, every week I'm going to offer a little bit of milk because they like that. And it was fine for a long time. And then when my oldest child was young, you know, finances weren't great. Things got kind of difficult. And I was like, well, milk is expensive and I need it for my kids. So I'm just not going to make this offering. I, I just can't at this point. And the first week went by, nothing happened. The second week I was grocery shopping and I was carrying my groceries in and I was carrying the gallon of milk in my hand and it was pulled out of my hand, hit the ground and burst. Like I've never seen anything Dang. like it. It was very dramatic. Yeah. The entire plastic gallon burst open and milk went absolutely everywhere. This is in my front yard. And you I was like, okay. didn't you? yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> there it was. Because yep. <laughs> yeah. I, I owed it to them. I had committed to do it and I wasn't. So they were like, well, now we're taking it. Um, and if I had just given what I had originally agreed to, it would have been a couple cups worth, not an entire gallon. Um, so I was like, lesson learned. <laughs> I get it. Don't you think there's a good lesson for life? I think all this is like a good lesson just to how, how to live life, like be conscientious, set intentions, be intentional about our yeah, work. Keep your promises, be honest. Mm -hmm. That's, that's another big promises. thing with the good be, folk. Yeah. Aries, like they, they can be deceptive, but they never outright verbally lie, which is another difference I should have mentioned at the beginning between them and other types of spirits. But they also expect that from people they deal with. Like they really do not take being lied to very well. Because to them, that's just not something they do. So that's not something they expect you to do. So let's um, let's share a little bit of personal stories and we can kind of get the um, expertise of Morgan. Is, is it a fairy? Is it not a fairy? Are we right in our assumptions? So I think I shared mine already. Um, actually, I think that's kind of the breadth of it. Uh, they got my attention for that duration. We left little offerings from time to time without making commitment to a time schedule. And what we did when we were moving from that house, we just had an... Um, we, we just didn't know if, if in fact they were fairy, um, and if they were in the house, if that, if we were correct in all of our assumptions. So we just kind of had an open invitation. We were like, you know, we're moving. If you're attached to us, come on with us. If you're attached to the house, feel free to stay. Yep. Um, and I think they stayed. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. I think they stayed at that house. Like we've not had the same kind of energy here. Oh, the energy of Ireland in general is very different. It is very different. And like we, the place we're in, we weren't expecting to be in for a whole year, but we've now been here a whole year. So we're, you know, we're just kind of getting to know the energy, I think of the kind of more permanent yeah. settlement. So um, Amy, what about you? Any, any potential fairy crossings and, and stories from you? Yeah. And I absolutely love this conversation that we're having today because now I'm questioning if what my experience was, was actually of that fairy like realm, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it was completely dark. So everything that was being experienced is more of like the, with that inner eye, so to speak. 
And what I believe was taking place around me, these beings, these creatures, whatever you want to call them, I feel were more the size of smaller. You know, you mentioned the size usually, you know, there there is some feet. Okay. But what I was experiencing, I feel is like more the size of my hand or something like that. And the way I would describe it would be more of like fire-like fairies, you know, like the elemental spirits working with me. And there's still a question of like, why, like, what were they doing? What's the purpose, you know? So I would just love, and the name that um, was referred to was the Ashim. So I'm just curious if anything comes up for you, if you, you know, the purpose of why to have a relationship, why we would want to give offerings or why they would be here for us when I had no clue whatsoever that this even existed. I mean, it's not something I'm personally familiar with, but there is so much out there. As I mentioned a lot earlier, like the, the more you learn about it, the more you realize how much is out there that you don't know anything about. Um, it definitely could be a type of fairy. It could also be something more elemental or um, a different type of spirit, uh, something that's more of like a healing kind of nature. Um, so there's there's a couple options going on from what you're describing. Um, it's it's kind of in that that middle zone. Um, as to why, I mean, one thing about these beings, because again. Um, you know, we, we are not always the ones who are in control with everything that's going on. Sometimes they just like people. Um, you know, sometimes it's the person has an ancestral connection or there's, there's something sort of deeper going on with that, but sometimes they just like someone. Sometimes they just, for whatever reason, usually it's people who do some sort of spiritual work, um, or psychic medium work or, you know, something that might maybe get their attention a little bit, but, they just decide that they like you. And once they decide that they like you, sort of like cats, you, you cannot dissuade them. You know, they, they have an opinion and that is that. Um, and if they like you, they, they will be prone to be around you. Um, and again, this, there's all sorts of different types that we could specifically talk about. But, um, and the reason that people would want to connect to them, obviously, if they're already around you, it's almost like self-defense. Like you, you want to know how to deal with them because they're going to be there anyway. But for people who like choose to engage in that connection, um, despite all of my grim warnings, there are benefits. I mean, particularly they're associated with healing um, and teaching, Uh, not the sort of teaching that we might understand in in different contexts with the more like um, guide type of spirits, but they can give like very um, tangible, specific knowledge of things. Herbs tend to be something that comes up a lot with fairies. Um, So knowledge of plants and herbs Um, and, you know, healing, I've experienced it. Um, I've actually uh, had a significant um, healing event that happened with my uh, middle child. And that's a pretty strong motivator, I think, for people, especially if, if someone is dealing with like some chronic medical stuff or a serious medical issue to be inspired to sort of want to, to have that connection. Um, so they, they definitely offer benefits um, 
it's just, you have to put in a, a decent amount of work in my opinion, you know, to, to keep that relationship healthy and with good boundaries. Yeah, thank you. And I very much resonate with the aspect of, you know, the knowledge of working with the the plant kingdom is what I call it. And for me, I feel like maybe there's aspects of who I am meant to be in this lifetime. And there's things that I may not know within me that I do believe that this realm has come to me to work with me to fulfill that calling, so to speak, so that healing on a soul level, on an energetic level. So just thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. And Well, and if, if you're someone who is already sort of engaging, um, in that sort of work with like plants and plant spirits, it's entirely possible that what you're seeing and experiencing is something connected to that. Um, and a lot of people do consider those sorts of beings type of fairy. So Super cool. I'm curious because we have um, a mimosa tree and I always call it the fairy tree to me because they have these like beautiful, like little uh, firework, like pink flowers, so to speak. And I'm just curious if there's like certain um, trees or nature that they might be attracted to that we might naturally just have in our yard. And that might be a sign that this realm is very much with us. Sure. Um, I'm not familiar with the folklore around that specific type of tree, but you can definitely research the folklore around it and then see what comes up. But there's a lot of folklore around the sorts of trees we would see obviously more in Western Europe, because that's where my, my main folklore focuses. Um, so like oaks, elder, ash, um, hawthorn, mm. blackthorn are, are huge fairy associations. Um, yeah, so there's, there's definitely certain types of trees and then specific types of plants as well that are kind of known to either, um, be liked by them or plants that they tend to be found around or seen around for sure. Cool. Andrea, what about you? You have your, um, your, wait, yours wasn't the Morgan had the missing butter. You had the missing aquamarine crystal. Yes. Yes. The missing crystal. I have specific, I'm, you all know, I have so many, um, well, I'll just lump into paranormal experiences. I'm going to limit this to my, the ones that have appeared to me as, um, uh, objectively clairvoyant or objectively clairaudient. So not in my head, but like, I can't tell the difference. And I'm with Katie, when we moved into this house, I kind of invited them to come with me if they wanted to, but the rental we were in before in between houses had this magnificent garden. The neighbor had a magnificent garden and the flowers all year round were just stunning and very inspirational. And that's when I first started um, connecting with the fairy realm, at least mm-hmm. in my way. And I invited them. I said, I can't promise you, <laughs> I can't promise you this garden. I promise that I will do my best with my flower boxes. And hopefully over time, I will always have flowers, but it's not going to look like this, but this is the house I've had a lot of experiences in, in, in the house. And I thought it was just cool, but one of them was sitting on my couch And what I would consider, I think they're with animal, perhaps like fairy animals, but a moth, but it was a moth, you know, like Amy said, the size of my hand flew in the house in a straight line right across the couch and right into a mirror. And my cat chased it. My cat chased it. Mm -hmm. And I, that it gave me a sense to be like, a moth is not that large and the cat would not chase. And where did it go? And for the next three days, the cat was growling and snarling and talking into the mirror. I like to the point where I had time to get my phone, videotape it, 
laugh at it. And after a while, I had to cover the mirror because I was afraid the cat was going to attack the mirror and break it. So (laughs) that's that's one. The other one was fairly similar in that uh, a very large bird got caught in my hallway and I could just hear the wings fluttering. And I'm thinking my brain is going nuclear. Like, how did this bird get caught down there? I've got to get it out. And I'm literally ducking and I couldn't get the light on in time. And I, I, I'm scrambling to get the door open to let this bird out. <laughs> no bird. <laughs> Those are just two experiences, but I, I couldn't yeah. tell the difference between, you know, with the clairvoyance and the clairaudience. It wasn't in my yeah, head. Yeah. It was objective. Uh, and your cat experienced it too. So <laughs> you have a witness. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's a fairy realm sort of experience? I think so. And it's actually, it's funny. This is why I was laughing when you were telling the moth story. So on midsummer, many years ago, I won't say how many, because it'll make me sound old. I was at my friend's store with another friend of ours. And the three of us had a very similar experience where it was this huge, like bird-sized moth flew in. Uh, my friend who owns the store saw it as a moth. Uh, my other friend and I saw it as a, a man with moth wings. So we saw the body as like a little man. Yeah, yes. And yes. kind of flew up to the ceiling. We were all looking at him. Flew towards, she has big picture windows in the front of her store. Flew towards one of the front windows. Uh, my other friend who could see it like me pointed at him and said something like you. And it immediately dropped straight down into the front window display. And we all went over and it was gone. It was nowhere to be found. And it, this was huge. I mean, if it was there, it, we would have seen it. Um, but yeah, it sounds very similar to, to your moth experience. I felt like mine had a body, a body too, not the body of a moth, but my brain, it was instantly like, oh, no, 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 no. it yeah. had to have been a moth. Huge. I, I personally suspect that a lot of people do have modern fairy experiences, but they, they do that. They instantly rationalize it. We're like, oh no, that it can't be that. So it was just, you know, just a moth, just a moth, or what have you. Um, well, for something yeah. like that, like for Andrew's story, do you? I, I think I'm, I'm thinking, getting into an, uh, I'm getting into a mindset that may not be that helpful. But like, is there a purpose of that, or is it just crossing through? Is it just kind of Andrea's psychic abilities happen to connect? I was just like. I'm always like, oh, that's so cool. Like to me, it was the cool. universe right. winking and I was yeah. saying hello, but I, I think it's super cool. And I was like, oh, that's telling me like too. But again, Morgan, please correct no, me. If, yeah. if you got a different perspective, it's more like, oh, good. I'm, I'm my perception, at least in the second standing and, is open okay. to other dimensions. And yeah. I love yeah, that. I think anytime we look at these types of stories, there's all sorts of possibilities. Um, it can just be um, that moment of sort of crossover where those, those two worlds, our world and the other world, just for whatever reason, the frequency suddenly lines up a little better, um, and mm. things cross over. Um, sometimes it is a, an intentional, like, Hey, look at me. Um, sometimes, you know, to be honest, like, and I've mentioned the whole fairies are, are kind of like humans. Sometimes they're just being a jerk. <laughs> you know? <laughs> They wanting to play yeah, with the cat, you know, wanting to, to mess with the cat or, you know, wanting to kind of startle someone and then disappear and then leave the person wondering like what just happened. Um, 
Is that why they turn on our lights and our TV in the middle of the night? Because that happens a lot to me. Yeah, I think sometimes <laughs> they're, and I shouldn't say it's always just being a jerk. Some of them are just a little more playful in a way that we don't always appreciate. You know, there's <laughs> like, always that one kid on the playground. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I got I got to think in fairy dimension, it's the same. Yeah. I always feel like if my light comes on and I didn't turn it on, it's in the middle of the night. Like the message is clearly light yeah. now. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to take it. For sure. Nice. <laughs> well, this has been like so fascinating. We could go on and on and on. Um, but we, we want to thank you for your time, uh, for sharing your expertise with us. Uh, where can people, well, we're going to get to where people can find you just really quick for listeners. No meditation today, because we think that's a poor idea because you've not made a conscious choice in our awareness to work with this realm. So we're not going to guide you on a meditation to do so. You need to do that on your own or contact Morgan or find her. So Morgan, where can people find you? Um, so I'm all over social media, sadly, um, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, always under my, my name, Morgan Daimler. Although I will say on Twitter, because Daimler is my um, ex-husband's surname. So after the divorce, I, I don't actually have it in real life. Daimler is now like my, my professional writing name. Um, so on Twitter, I do have my real last name plus Daimler. So I just made that way more complicated than it needed to be. That's but okay. when you find me on Twitter, it'll be Morgan and then my real last name and then Daimler. What's but your real last me. name? Nick Sorley. Okay. That's, so it's Morgan Nick Sorley Daimler. Um, everywhere else is just Morgan Daimler because I'm not changing everything because it's too much effort. Um, and because obviously I write under Morgan Daimler, it's just easier to keep everything with that. But uh, you can find me on, um, I have a Patreon. You can find me on Amazon. Uh, my book Fairycraft, which you mentioned, and my book Fairies, which is another one I, I often recommend to people interested in the subject. Uh, you can get those at ebook or paperback or audible. Um, if you are more into listening um, or reading or however you choose to get your media. And uh, I'm really open to people messaging me if they have questions. I have an author page on Facebook. You can message me through there. Uh, it does usually take a day or two for me to get back to people uh, because I, I do have uh, children and they require attention. So they get very cranky if I don't feed them. You got, you got that children, you got fairy realm, you got everything. So <laughs> yeah, I got a lot going on, um, but if you message me, I will get back to you. Cool. And uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for being here. And then for magical mystical journeys, we always appreciate hearing from you. So where, let's see, where can people reach us? What are the best ways? Mm -hmm. Please email us at magical mystical journeys at gmail.com. And rate us <laughs> if you like this episode. <laughs> And you want to give it a five-star, five-star would be great. Rate us on iTunes. I think iTunes is the best platform. Um, but really, wherever you are listening to this podcast, please get, help us get the word out for other people to and like. Don't, us. You click the star. Definitely click the star. But actually write something because that bumps it up in the um, in the little algorithm. So it doesn't have to be long. It'll take you 30 seconds. Just love the episode. Best podcast ever. Five stars. Just write like hey, two words. That, that was fun. I now love fairies. That's enough. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. This was a great conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in.